torts, we talked about proof of negligence. Really, how can you prove that negligence was there? And quite honestly, it's going to be proving that there is negligence when you have somewhat of a lack of evidence. So, for this episode, we're going to be talking about circumstantial evidence, and we're going to be talking about res ispa liquider. I believe I said that right. I can't really pronounce it right. It's going to take a bit of practice. Let's talk about circumstantial evidence to begin with. We started by talking about quite a few cases. They're all slip and fall cases, and I actually think that the editors of the casebook are really kind of funny. I, I think it was humorous I, that they put all these cases back to back to figure out whether or not circumstantial evidence allowed there to show that there was proof of negligence. They're all about slipping and falling on bananas. So you can think of Super Mario Kart or however you want to remember these cases. There's Goddard, Anju, Joey, and Ortega. And I guess Ortega is rather a slip on milk. And then after that, we have Jasco, which is a slip and fall on a pizza. And then H.E. Buttgrow Company versus Resendez, which is a slip and fall on grapes on a display. I won't go into too much other details. Let's just give an overview of what really our big takeaway is. When we think of circumstantial evidence, people often automatically jump to the conclusion of this is going to be a weak case. And that's actually not entirely true. In fact, Professor Miller outright said that that is false. If you have circumstantial evidence, cases are made up of circumstantial evidence and a lot of the time it's stronger than eyewitness accounts and the reason for that is because circumstantial evidence is something that you can prove or infer based off of fact whereas eyewitness accounts can be malleable and impeachable because people's memories fade which is why we had the statute of limitations in the first place and so that's why circumstantial evidence actually has this strength is because circumstantial evidence doesn't fade. It's easy to prove, so to speak, to show that something happened. And you can see, like for example, taking a couple of these banana cases where a banana was new. And so there's this duty to take care, but if there's a new banana on the ground because it's not discolored yet, it's still yellow, it's crisp, it's sticky, well, then there's circumstantial evidence to show that the person's not guilty of negligence because they wouldn't have known that the banana wasn't there. But if the banana was old, crinkled, brown, dusty, gross-looking, well, then there's enough circumstantial evidence to determine, yes, this person has the duty to keep things clean, and he had the notice or she had the notice to say, yes, we need... This banana has been here for a while, and it needs to be taken care of, and any injury that arises, we can be found negligent for. And that's because the circumstantial evidence of looking at the surrounding circumstances can determine whether or not something has actually occurred. So, how do we determine whether or not there is actual circumstantial evidence? Well, first of all, there needs to be notice, either constructive, uh, meaning in inferred or actual I ignore that last sentence there needs to be notice the person needs to know that the hazard is there uh, person with slip and fall with milk needs to know that there's 
any need to clean up the milk either they're told that or they check it periodically and if they don't take enough steps to get that notice well then they can be found negligent so first step is that there's notice. second step is that the condition that exists produces an unreasonable risk of harm meaning spilled milk, spilled milk is going to be harmful people could slip and fall the third thing is that the defendant does not use proper care to reduce that risk, meaning they didn't go and try and sweep it up, clean it up. And then fourth is that an injury actually caused from that lack of duty, that lack of care. So that's how you can determine if circumstantial is present to prove that there's negligence. Now let's talk about res ispa liquider. And this is Latin. It translates to speaks for itself, meaning the facts of this case are going to present itself to say, yes, this is actually what's going to happen. We have several cases. I'm going to say that they have a pretty similar takeaway. Uh, we have a person who was passing underneath a building, had a sack of flour, or rather a barrel of flour, dropped on his head and sued. We have a person where a tractor had a spare tire, it fell out, uh, landed on the plaintiff's car, plaintiff sued, and then we have another person who was walking underneath the building and an armchair was thrown down the window at the plaintiff, and the plaintiff sued. How do we determine whether or not there is rest is but liquider, meaning is there actual evidence to show that there is negligence? And what happens in these cases is when there's a lack of evidence, we can use circumstantial evidence to infer that there was negligence. So there's one big takeaway from all these, and it's that we need to give the plaintiff, or rather this doctrine gives the plaintiff a chance to win, even when there is no evidence of negligence from the defendant, but it's clear that there was some evidence of negligence in order for the thing to happen. So how do you prove that there is res ispa liquider? Well, first of all, you need to show that there is an accident, meaning a person got hit over the head with a chair falling from a building. Second, the plaintiff needs to show what caused the accident was under the exclusive control of the defendant, meaning the sack of flour, the barrel of flour, was under complete control of the defendant. And finally, that if under ordinary care and events, the accident would not have happened, meaning that some negligence should be present. Well, for the thing to actually occur, there needed to have been negligence because without negligence, the thing doesn't occur. So those are those three elements. And I think that about sums up everything I want to say about these cases um, because we're going to be continuing our discussion about this doctrine tomorrow. And something that I'm still trying to get a grasp with. So I think I'll save everything else to recap tomorrow and, and cover it all up. But that's how you can prove that there's negligence, is circumstantial evidence, and rest is by... Liquider is one way to take that circumstantial evidence 
and make an inference of negligence. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.